Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. house. I'll announce my subject here in just a little while, but uh, I'm not saying this because I'm an outstanding preacher, but uh, the message that I feel on my heart tonight might well be the most important message you'll ever hear me preach or subject that you'd ever hear me preach on, because if you're going to be a success living for God, you're going to have to get this, as we like to say, down in your crawl. Amen. If you're going to make it, this is what it's going to take. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's lift up our hands to God and let's pray for His anointing. Jesus, we need you, God. We need your touch. We need the help of your spirit. We need your mighty anointing. We need, God, your presence to abide with us in this house. We know, Lord, that without you we can do nothing at all, and so we depend upon your anointing and your touch. Praying, Lord, you'd bless and move and minister in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Oh, the church said, Amen. Praise God. God bless you so much. Wonderful church congregation. Amen. You can sit down. <laughs> I usually say you can be seated. I guess I got a little stronger there. You can sit down. I've heard them say, you sit down. What? Hey, most of the places I preach, I'm trying to get them up and worried about them sitting down. They seem like they get that natural. Amen. Uh, when I was just out of high school and uh, went off to uh, get going in the ministry, and then a little bit later went to Bible school in Stockton, California, and that was an interesting experience. Um, Bible school taught me a lot of things. I don't know if everything is applicable to real life doing the work of the ministry, but it sure was an experience for me. And one of the things, if you was a theology major, which meant that you were studying to become a preacher, uh, you had to take a class in homiletics. We, ter- we took... Uh, hermeneutics, and uh, that's just kind of how everything fits in the Word of God, and uh, you want to be hermeneutically correct when you're preaching, and so that was the first class, and then after that, if you were able to make the grade there, and uh, the next class that you was to take is homiletics, which had to do with the delivery of the Word of God, and so there was a a particular instructor by the name of Brother Odell, Brother Danny Odell. And uh, he was originally, I think, from the state of Illinois, but he'd moved to California and was teaching there. And he was a very stern individual and uh, could be a very intimidating type person to be around. And especially for us that were taking his classes. And uh, he was going to teach us how to preach. I don't think some ever learned. And uh, so he was going to teach us what was appropriate and what was not appropriate. And uh, there was a book 
that we went by, and of course there was illustrations that uh, Brother Odell would give from his wealth of experience in the ministry, and Brother Odell was a tremendous preacher. I'll never forget, I think i got time for it here tonight, I'll never forget one of the most memorable sermons that I ever remember Brother Odell preaching was at a chapel service right there at the Bible College. And uh, he got up and he opened a letter and he began to read the letter and it was addressed to the student body. And he began to basically read a resignation type letter that he was quitting the ministry. He was quitting Bible school instructing. And uh, this would be his last day, his last service, last time to see any one of us. And I mean, you, it was so quiet in that room, you could hear a pin drop. And uh, everybody's sitting on the edge of their seat. Man, we finally got to the guy. We have finally caused him to up and quit. And we've discouraged him and disappointed him. This lot of, of uh, young preachers has driven him over the edge, I suppose. And he's going to give up. He's going to quit. And at the very end, he said, sincerely, Demas. And I remember everybody just kind of breathed a sigh of relief and, and wiped the sweat off our brow that Brother Odell wasn't going to quit. He wasn't going to give up. But uh, we was worried about him for a little while there as he was reading that letter. But uh, he always taught us to be a, a text preacher and to preach from the word of the Lord. Uh, his classes were very interesting. I, like I said, he was a very direct person. I remember on one occasion there was, a, there was a young fella that he had already had some experience preaching a little bit, and maybe when he got to Bible school felt like he was ahead of, of the majority of the class. And he got up to preach, and when he got done, Brother Odom lifted up his hand, and he called his name, and he said, Son, you said Amen. A hundred and so many times. I mean, he had marked every one of them down. And uh, the boy was shocked, of course. And he said, I want, you to, I want you to come back next class, period. And he said, I want you to preach that same sermon, and I don't want to hear amen. And uh, so the boy went home. He was a married student, and he told his wife, I'm quitting the ministry. I'm done. I'm really, I'm kind of doubting whether I was called to preach in the first place. And he was really uh, discouraged about it. And so the wife uh, all went to church there, and so they, she got a, a time to speak with Brother Odell, and she explained to him what the situation was and what her husband had said and how discouraged this boy was. And uh, so uh, got back to the class, and he said, I'll tell you what, I know you said you was going to quit, but you're going to preach one more time before you quit. He said, it's going to be today. He said, get up there and preach that same message. And he preached the message, and Brother Odom, at the end of the sermon, got up there. And it's a difficult thing to preach before your peers. It's a difficult thing to preach in a sterile classroom where there's not a whole lot of anointing and there's sure not enough support and amens and, and all of that. It's hard to get the spirit moving, but uh, that's what we had to do. And so when he got done and uh, was through and closed out, uh, Brother Odom walked up to him and said, Son, I want you to bend over. He was a little shocked at that. And uh, he bent over right there in front of the class, and he kicked him in the sea of the britches. And he said, I don't want you to ever say that you're going to quit the ministry. 
I don't want you to ever say that you're not called of God. That was a fantastic message from the Lord. And uh, you're called to preach, and you just got to keep it up. And the more you preach, the more you're going to be familiar with it, and you're going to feel comfortable with it, and the more the Lord is going to use you. But he was very emphatic teaching us that you, you needed to find a verse in the Bible to center your thoughts around or a passage and be a text or a Bible preacher. Don't use other things to start out from, but, but make everything biblically based. So I hope tonight that Brother Odom, or Brother Odell rather, is not listening to this sermon or doesn't ever hear this particular sermon. Uh, I don't suppose he ever will. But I'm going to go against and I'm going to break that rule because there's not one verse in the Bible that really goes exactly with what I'm preaching tonight. Solomon was the wisest, by certification, was the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus Christ. And here in this particular passage, most of us know that Solomon wrote the Proverbs, and I I, I suppose that's the most popular uh, book that he has written, uh, but he also wrote this book of Ecclesiastes, which means the preacher. And he is, he is writing here, and he's covering a very broad subject, and he's talking about the time and the purpose for just about everything. He talks about a time to be born, a time to die, and those are two dates that everybody has to meet. And then he talks about planting and plucking up that which is planted. He talks about killing and he talks about healing. He talks about gathering and he talks about scattering. He talks about tearing down and he talks about building up. And he covers just about every purpose that you can think of in this particular passage of Scripture. But never in all of this reading here does he ever uh, cover a time to quit or a time to give up? So I don't guess there's a really a verse in the Bible that gives us permission or a time to ever quit. In fact, the most deadly disease that we face in our world today is, is not cancer. It's not it's not diabetes, it's not leukemia, it's not even Ebola or any other virus or disease that you can think of or that is so dreaded in our world today. But the disease that is destroying the majority of the folks is the disease of quitting. We're living in a quitting generation. Yes, we are. It is heartbreaking to think that 52 out of 100 marriages, the latest statistics, 52%, 52 out of 100 marriages will end in divorce. Uh, this is a challenge for us today, and I don't, I don't know that it's all together. I don't know that it's all together, this next statistic. I don't know if it's all together uh, people's fault, but it's just the way life is nowadays, but it is a challenge. And I think a symptom of a way that we view society and the way that we view life, and that is that 
uh, a young couple could uh, look at making 14 career or job changes in their lifetime. Amen. That's quite a challenge for a pastor to consider that uh, the people that he pastors, that uh, everything. I heard a pastor tell me one time, he said, well, in today's world, the life of a saint in a church, a particular church, in today's world, you can figure about six years because we live in such a transitional world. Well, I hope we're defying the odds here because I think uh, there's something to be said for someone that pours concrete around their feet and makes up their mind and commits themselves to the church and said, I'm going to live for God here. I'm going to bloom where I'm planted. I'm going to do the will of the Lord. I'm going to serve God. There will be ups and downs, mountaintops and valleys, situations and storms and challenging circumstances. But through it all, I'm committed and I'm going to live for God. Amen. I didn't get in this thing to quit. I said I didn't start this to quit. And so if you need a title tonight, uh, I just want to use this. It may be something that's already worn out, but, but I'll just use this tonight. It's, it's always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to quit. And I'm not just speaking of, as I preach this tonight, I'm not just speaking of your relationship with God. I'm not just talking about your your walk with God because that's a given. It's always too soon to quit. But I'm also talking about the things you pursue in your walk with God, the things you desire of the Lord, the things you want from God. You, You need to get it in your mind and down deep in your heart that I am going to stay in this I'm going to fight through whatever barriers and obstacles, whatever hindrances come my way. I am going to fight through them and receive the ultimate from God. Whatever it is that God has promised, I'm going to continue to pursue it. I'm going to be persistent until I receive it. And that's how you get something from God. You pray and you pray and you pray again until the answer comes. I wish I could tell you that every prayer is answered the first time you pray it. And a lot of them are. But many times you got to go as the servant did again and look for what the prophet said and pray and seek the face of God and not give up. And through persistent, relentless praying and being faithful to God, you can be assured of this one thing, that God will come through for you. Aren't you thankful that God does always come through for his people? Hallelujah. He may not even answer the prayer exactly how we wanted it or in the timing that we wanted it, but God knows us and knows what is best for us, and God does what we need him to do in our lives in order for us to to make it and to serve him and to be saved because there's nobody that wants to see you saved any more than the Savior does. There's nobody that wants you to make it more than God does. There's nobody that wants you to be victorious any more than he does. You just understand tonight, he's on your side. I said he's on your side. He wants you to be a success. 
but not serving a God that's standing up in the heavens with his arms crossed, judging the situation, almost hoping that you would fail, hoping that you would stumble, uh, relishing your struggles. That's not my God. That's not the one that I'm serving, but the God that I'm serving is interested in you being the best that you can be. And being blessed and serving him and being, being totally fulfilled in your relationship with God. Amen. All the joy you need, God has it. All the fulfillment that you need and completeness you need, God has it. And he wants to give it to you. Amen. A lot of times it's like that song we sang tonight. We've got to empty ourselves out of a whole lot of this world before we can be filled with the things of God. Hallelujah. I said we got to empty ourselves out of a whole lot of other stuff that doesn't matter and that gets in the way sometimes and can sometimes be a deterrent in our relationship with God in order for us to receive what we need from the Lord. Can you say praise God? Hallelujah. And so uh, there's many illustrations in the Scripture of people that God admonished them, or in the life of Jesus, he gave us examples in his ministry where there were those that were giving up, they were quitting, they were throwing in the towel, and uh, he encouraged them just to go a little further. In Luke chapter 5, there is those disciples that had been fishing, and they had not been so successful. These were men that were experienced at this trade. These were men that were quite familiar with the waters that they were fishing in. These were men that probably knew where to go when all else fails and and at least be able to harvest a few fish. But the Bible said this particular night, it wasn't for the lack of trying. It wasn't for the lack of their endeavor and putting their all into it. But the Scripture says that they had toiled all night. You know, a lot of times we can ridicule people for not trying. And we can, we, can, we can say, well, you just didn't try hard enough or long enough and didn't give yourself to it. But uh, these men had applied themselves. They had given their all. And they had toiled all night. Now, you understand this was physically exhausting work that they were involved in. These were nets that they were casting out and letting down and then gathering up again. And, and I've watched men on deep sea fishing trips lower nets. And I've watched, uh, I've watched men in shrimp boats watch, watch them as they lower nets. And, and uh, you know, it would be nice if the only thing you picked up from the bottom of the sea was exactly what you was fishing for. But a lot of times you got a lot of things that you don't want that gets in the nets. And there's all kinds of debris and refuse and trash that gets caught up in the nets. And the nets are heavy and and they get tangled up because of the currents. And so this was exhausting work. And they had toiled all night. And as they're coming in and they're washing their nets and they're preparing to put them away and uh, just just accept uh, that this was a bad night for fishing and uh, accept the fact that we're going to come home empty-handed and and accept the disappointment uh, of this particular trip, Jesus says to them, I want you to launch out one more time. I want you to go out into the deep this time and lower your nets. 
Hallelujah. Now these were men that had already tried. These were men that had already given themselves. Somebody says tonight, you don't understand how many times I've prayed about it. You don't understand how much I've given of myself to this. You don't know how much I've tried and I've tried to work things out. I've tried to do this and I've tried to do that. Oh, but the Lord is speaking to you tonight. You need to launch out one more time in faith. You need to be obedient to the word of the Lord that comes to you in this service tonight just as those disciples were and realize that God knows exactly the timing. He knows exactly how and when it's going to happen. And if he says go and if he says pray and if he says worship and if he says respond in faith, then I'm not going to come back a failure, but I can know that God is going to see me through to victory. Oh, come on, let's give praise to the Lord. Let's give praise to the Lord tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for our flesh to do is to be submissive to the word and the will of God. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, folks, you don't always need an audible voice. You don't always have to see an angel. You don't always have to have a vision to know what to do. But you can look right here in this word many times, and it'll tell you exactly what to do. And the way I see it here tonight, it's telling us that we never have permission, according to the word of God, to quit or to give up. In fact, just the contrary. But the scripture says if a man puts his hand to the pile and looks back, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Once you start on this journey, you need to commit yourself to it. Highs, lows, difficult times, troubles, trials, whatever it is, I'm committed. I'm giving myself to it. I'm not backing off of it. I know God called me. I know God has placed me and planted me in the church. And so I'm just going to continue on. I'm just going to keep on walking with him. I'm going to keep on praying and believing. I'm going to keep on toiling if necessary. I remember Brother Holmes telling a story to me about evangelists that came by his local church many years ago. And for about two or three weeks, he was telling about all these big stories. I mean, it was astounding stories of miracles and things that was happening. He said, I mean, people at first, their faith was just lifted up. And he said it was unbelievable, some of the, the stories that, that he said that God had done. And he said, the only problem was after about two or three weeks, he said, I noticed that none of them was happening here. None of them was taking place at our place, in our church. And I noticed after a while that, that people started kind of getting discouraged and what's wrong with us and what's happening, uh, why can't that happen here? And I suppose that he had a little doubt whether uh, the, the evangelist wasn't fabricating some of these stories and making them a little bit bigger than they were supposed to be. And finally, he said the revival closed. He said in the next next service I got up and he said I and he preached from that text that I, I just referred to in the Gospel of Luke about toiling all night. And he said, I, I just preached to that church, go back and toil a little bit in the prayer room. 
go back and worship and go back to being faithful and go back to being consistent, committing yourself to God and, and giving of yourself to the things of the Lord and see if the Lord will not come through for you. Praise God. That's what it takes sometimes. That's what it takes sometimes. You say, you don't know how many times that I've asked the Lord to do this. You don't know how many times I've sought the face of the Lord to work for me in this situation. Well, I've come to encourage you tonight to go one more time, seek him again, and see if the Lord will not come through for you. Oh, yeah. Praise God. There is never a reason to quit. Hallelujah. There's never excuse in the Word of God. Bible, there's various reasons why, why people do quit. And uh, usually most of them, uh, when, you, when, you, when you weigh it all out, when you consider it, it's never a good reason. It's never an acceptable reason. It never, never does make sense in the end of it all to be lost over something that would be so small and so insignificant. But you know, the devil, he doesn't give up in every way that he possibly can. He wants to affect your walk with God. He wants to get in there and make an inroad, and he wants to make a mountain out of a mohill. He wants to make a big deal or a little deal a big deal. He wants to make a small situation, an infectious situation that was spread into other areas of your life, and you just got to make up your mind. This is where it stops. I'm going to serve the Lord I'm not living for God for anybody else. I'm living for God because I want to be saved. Scripture does tell us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Hallelujah. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, book of Hebrews, says, Lay aside every weight and the sin, singular, that does so easily beset you. A lot of times we think of somebody backsliding, somebody getting away from God, we think of, man, it must have been a lot of things. Or it must have been a lot of different factors involved. But usually you can narrow it down to about one thing that, that, that was the, the pivotal point in their life that caused them to lose out with God. That thing that they refused to lay aside. That thing that became a big deal to them. And it would be surprising, maybe even shocking to you of how small and insignificant that would be. Amen. I preached a message here one time called it, If You're Lost, I Can Tell You Why. Amen. A lot of people kind of looked at me like, you can tell me why I'm going to be lost. And, and most of the time, I believe I could. Because most of the time, people are lost over being offended. Amen. Everybody clear your throat and say amen because it's the truth. It's the truth. It's not some big discouragement that comes their way. It's not some big trial that the enemy, oh, no, but it's usually being offended. And there's a lot of things we can get offended about. And the biggest thing that we have to guard is our attitude. Amen. Now, I can preach Sunday night or I can give this a Wednesday night Bible study. Whichever way you want to go is fine with me. Amen. Because I'm going to preach what the Lord has laid upon my heart tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But the thing we have to guard is our attitude. 
our attitude. Our attitude has to be guarded. Why? Because it's connected or it's almost synonymous with our spirit. And the scripture said in the book of Proverbs again, it said the spirit of a man sustaineth him. But a man that has an offended spirit, who can bear him? That's what the Bible says. That's what your Bible says. Amen. And so we have to be careful to guard our spirit against offense. And, you know, we can be petty sometimes as human beings. Brother uh, Ronnie Mullins, who was superintendent of California for many years and used to preach for him, he wrote a little book, and he, and he entitled it. And I thought, man, it was kind of shocking that he would title it this, but I, I thought, man, that will kind of keep a lot of people from probably buying it. And he said, People are pitiful is what he put on the front of it. And I thought, yeah, and petty sometimes, the pettiness of things. Sometimes being so petty about little minute details and getting our feelings hurt and, and, uh, and, and worrying about all of that when we should be worshiping and praising God. Well, I don't want to belabor the point here tonight, but I'm telling you, the devil, if you're looking for a reason to quit, he'll supply you with one. If you're looking for a reason to be offended, he'll supply you with plenty of reasons to be offended. But if you want to be blessed, you've got all the equal opportunity to be blessed here tonight. If you want to have revival, you can have revival. If you want God to answer and work in your heart and life, he'll work in your life. Amen. But you're not going to get there by being petty and worrying about every little thing and every little detail. Amen. I'm going to tell you, you can't control what other people do, but you can't control your attitude towards it. Amen. That's where you're responsible is how you respond to things. Amen. I'm not going to let it get me down. Oh, no, I'm not going to quit. Praise God. I'm going to lay that aside and run like the Bible said. Because the Bible tells me that there's a great host of witnesses that are looking on. We're compassed about. I used to hear them old preachers preach about that, and they'd say, we're compassed about. <laughs> Amen. Well, we're, we're compassed about with a great host Almost like Paul is describing a great grandstand here and a race that has taken place. And there's those that have already that have already won their part of the relay race. And they're already in the grandstands. They've already, they've already celebrated the conclusion of their race. But the Bible said they without us are not perfect, that they need us to run well, that they need us to do our part. Can I tell you that we've got many reasons already gone on to glory to keep running and keep being faithful and to keep serving God. I want to see in grandmother and grandfather that went on before me and was faithful to the Lord. And there's people in this place that have family members that have went on to be with the Lord. And they're cheering you on and telling you right now to keep running and lay aside every little petty weight and sin that does so easily beset you. And run on. Tell you how petty things get sometimes. There's people already offended by the what little I've said tonight. <laughs> that's how petty people can be. Praise God. But that's okay. That's okay. You need to hear the word of the Lord. And I need practice preaching the word of the Lord. So we're going to help one another tonight. I look over there in the book of Revelation, and it's talking to those seven churches. 
and I mean just about every one of them outside of Philadelphia, he found something wrong or imperfect about it. And he pointed it out. And I'm talking about some real isms and schisms here, folks, some real troubles, real problems. People say, well, we got to get all this perfect and we got to get all this totally cleaned up before you can have revival. You got to have it squeaky clean. You got to have this just exactly right. Well, that doesn't really add up according to uh, the book of Revelation there in those first few chapters of the book of Revelation because those seven churches had some real deals going on. But the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord was still in the midst of them and that he was still dealing with them. And in essence, if I could say it this way, he was saying if you'll just hold on and if you'll just continue to be faithful and if you'll stay committed, I'll save you in the end. We'll work through these things. We'll, we'll deal with these situations and we'll help you and I'll, 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 I'll help you to recover and I'll help you to be restored because I want to save you. I want you to make it. Can I tell you, that's the key is stay committed to God. That's how you make it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 24, there was these two disciples. They may, they may have not been uh, disciples of the 12, but they were maybe a part of that 70 that was sent out. One of them was Cleophas, and they were walking down the road on their way to Emmaus, the Bible says. And they were grumbling among themselves and talking with sorrow and sadness of everything that had transpired over the last few days. and They were disillusioned and they were reasoning within themselves, how could these things be? How come it all worked out like this? We're disappointed. This isn't how we planned it. Can I tell you that life doesn't always go how it's planned? It always doesn't turn out like you dreamed it would. And all of a sudden there was a man that joined himself to them and, and uh, he, he began to ask them some questions about what they were discussing. And they looked at him like he had fell out of a tree, I suppose, and, and said, what do you mean? Where have you been? Don't you live in this part of the country? Don't you know of the events that have just taken place? We're talking about the crucifixion of the Lord here. And uh, they began to elaborate and uh, and the Bible said they came to a certain point and Jesus made like he was going to go on. And they, they bid him to stay with him. There was something about his presence, though they didn't recognize it. And that's always astounded me how the Bible said their eyes being holding, they didn't recognize him. There was something that blinded them. There was something that kept them from being able to see that this was the Lord that was actually walking with them in their most despondent hour. Can I tell you that he always shows up when you desperately need him to show up. He is always there when you need him the most. Praise God. He doesn't hold himself back. He's not austere and, and, and stays away. Amen. But when you need him, that's when he'll be there for you. Well, praise God. And so we understand that uh, they bid him stay with him. And it wasn't until he took the bread in his hands and blessed it and broke it that they remembered it, jarred something in their memory. Isn't it, isn't it significant that there are certain things that kind of get programmed into our memory? And once we ever see that again 
it, it causes something to flash in our memory. We can, we can pull up something that happened many years ago or somewhere back in the past. And it maybe whatever it is that happens triggers that. And that's the way it was with these fellas. And they had a moment of realization that this is in fact the Lord. And uh, who else would have come to them at this particular time? Who else would have been there when they needed him the most other than the Lord? And he was right there, and they didn't recognize him. So blinded by discouragement, so blinded by disappointment, so blinded by uh, what had just happened over the last few days that they couldn't see that the Lord was right there with them. Oh, can I tell you here tonight that uh, there's often times when, when, when he is so close to us and we don't recognize it, we're not able to see it. Amen. We are so disillusioned and so disappointed with certain things that are going on that we don't realize that God is trying to minister to us and God is trying to help us right then and he's trying to, trying to help us to see things that we need to see that would be encouraging to us. Amen. Praise God. You see, discouragement, it leads to one of two things. It leads to utter despair or it leads to desperation. And desperation can often bring tremendous results. There is a dimension beyond discouragement, and that is either despair and falling deeper into that abyss of despair and never coming out of it, I've seen people and even made this observation when, when terrible circumstances and tragedy came to their life. I made this statement, this would either draw them closer to God or this would be the breaking point. And how true that is. It seems like people either fall in the arms of God and trust Him or they get so utterly confused and despair with life that they, they fall out and away from God and lose faith completely. Oh, can I preach to you right now when that time of discouragement and disappointment when life comes. That's not time for you to fall into despair. It's a time for you to get desperate before God and say God I understand that if you are able to do anything you're able to help me. If you're able to perform a miracle in anybody's life, you're able to perform it in my life. If you're able to work for anyone, you can work for me God. Somebody throw up your hands right now and give praise and thanks to the Lord. Sometimes we need to be reminded what we still got. And if you still got faith, everything else can be taken away from you and you can still make it. Matter of fact, that's what the Lord said he'd be searching for when he came to the earth. He said, when I find faith, when I come. That's the only thing I'm looking for. I'm not looking for fat wallets. I'm not looking for anything else. I'm looking for faith. And if I can find faith, that's all I need. That's all I'm looking for. Does anybody still have your faith intact? Does anybody still have faith that God is able? I don't care how you've been kicked or how. I don't care how the devil's mistreated you. I don't care what you've been through. If you still got faith, you still have enough to make it. 
Reminds me of that old fella. Reminds me of that old fella. That he said, well, he said, I, I've had joints replaced. I've got new knees. And he said, I've got a new hip. And he said, circulation's bad. I'm half blind. He said, I can't hear anything quieter than a jet engine. And uh, suffering from a little bit of dementia. Don't know if I'm 85 or 92. He said, but thank God I still got my driver's license. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank God I still got my driver's license. You need to thank God for what you still got. I said, you need to thank God for what you still have. If you still got your faith, devil, that's one thing you haven't been able to take away from me. That's one thing you haven't been able to strip out of my hands and take from my grip. And as long as I got faith, I got everything that I need. Oh, somebody ought to praise him right now. Somebody ought to lift him up right now. I still got a hold of my faith. always turn around somebody and say it's always too soon to quit little five year old girl was watching her mother rubbing cold cream on in the mirror she said mother what are you, what are you doing what are you doing that for she said well to make myself beautiful a few moments she took a tissue and began to wipe that cream off she said what's the matter you giving up already Too soon to quit. Too soon to give up. Can't throw in the towel just yet. Too many victories are yet to be won. Too much revival yet to be had. Too many prayers yet to be answered. Come on, I'm preaching to some parents in this place that are praying that God would fill your kids with the Holy Ghost. It's too soon to quit, church. I'm praying with somebody right here and preaching to somebody right here that you have health situation in your body right now. I'm going to tell you God's still a healer no matter what the devil's tried to tell you lately. No matter how, how despondent you become with what you've been struggling with in your physical body, God is still a healer. I come against that lying devil that tells you that he's not going to do it for you. Oh, somebody ought to just stand to their feet and stand on the faith of the word of God and say, God, I'm going to believe you right now. I'm going to trust you right now again for this victory. Musicians come. The devil deals in hopelessness. He wants to get you in a hopeless state of mind. He wants you to you know, the Bible talks about the big three, faith, hope, and love. And sometimes we talk a lot about love and we talk a lot about faith. And I guess the lesser of the three that we talk about is hope because we don't understand it all that much. But hope is real. And if you don't have it, if you don't have any hope, then you're not going to be able to exercise your faith. Because everything begins with hope. That's where it starts. And then faith is activated. I heard Brother Smith quoting that scripture, hope maketh not a shame. Amen. Hope, when you got hope, you're not, you're not afraid to ask. 
You're not afraid when you got hope to make your request known. You're not intimidated. Matter of fact, you come a little bit more boldly when you got hope. Hallelujah. I come to inspire somebody's hope here tonight. That God is exactly who he said he was. You see, you see right there by that response, I can tell that the devil's tried to affect some, some people's hope in this room. But there ought to be a resounding uh, response to the word of the Lord when I say that God is able, when I say that God can, when I say that God wants to do it for you. I got hope. Yes, I got hope. And I'm not afraid to ask God and believe God and trust the Lord. Right. Praise God. And so I'm going to come against that spirit of hopelessness. You know, I've always been taught you get what you preach. And I haven't been much for calling out devils and naming things and spirits and addressing them personally. I've left that up to the more mystical type folks. But let me just tell you this. I believe there is a spirit of hopelessness that is trying to grip a hold of this world. Fear that the devil's trying to use to strike in the hearts of people. That's what all this terrorism's about. He wants to he wants to put everybody under a rock. Make everybody fear. Make everybody live in dread. And I'm gonna tell you, you think, well, it's happening over there and in Southern California and happening somewhere else across the world, but it's probably not. It's coming. But the real true child of God doesn't have to live in fear, doesn't have to live in hopelessness because we have a hope the Bible says is beyond this world. Amen. Amen. And we know that God is in control. And we know that God, amen, we're his child and he's going to protect us and watch over us and he's going to provide for us. Come on, you believe that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And, and so I, I want to first of all identify where that hopelessness comes from. It didn't come from a group of Islamic terrorists. It comes from the devil. I said that spirit is of the Antichrist. It's of the devil. People that do those things, they're being influenced and they're demonic. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but let's just identify it for what it is. It's of the devil. And that's who's influencing the minds and that's who's influencing the actions of those kind of people is the devil. Why does the devil deal in hopelessness? You think about it. Who's the most hopeless cause in all the world? Think about it. Who's the most hopeless, hopeless, I know he's not an individual, but just for the sake of identifying, Hopeless individual, a person that you can think of. It's the devil, right? Because, because his destiny and his fate has already been decided. There's no chance, there's no opportunity for changing his destiny. He's already doomed for hell. He's already doomed uh, to be punished throughout eternity. And the Bible indicates to us that he wants to take as many as he can with him down into this feeling of hopelessness. Hell hath enlarged itself beyond measure. 
Why? Because it knows that it has but a short time. That's why everything is intensifying in this world. It's because the devil knows that Jesus is getting ready to come. I said Jesus is getting ready to come. But you know the difference between you and the devil? He's a hopeless cause. It's a hopeless situation. But you can change the outcome of your life. You can change your destiny. You don't have to accept the fate of the devil. Amen. You don't have to accept the plans and the designs that the devil has upon your life. But you can have victory. You can be victorious. You can conquer. You can be saved. You don't have to live a hopeless life. You can make it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I got news for you, devil. You told me that it wasn't going to be, but I'm telling you it is. You told me that I couldn't have it, but I'm telling you I can. You told me I wouldn't be saved, but I'm telling you I will. Amen. I am not going to live in a feeling of hopelessness, but I am going to step out in faith and believe God. God, I'm going to realize and identify where that spirit comes from. And I curse that spirit of hopelessness. Woo!